0: take our Bibles, please, and open them to Psalm 88. Open to Psalm 88. This is uh, the third message in our series this summer. We're taking six Psalms out of uh, Rob Howard's book, Morning, Noon, and Night. If you didn't get one, please grab one as as you leave. We're going to that for our application, but also to encourage us to be in these Psalms and to, to teach us, quite frankly, to train us, equip us, how to engage and bring God into the those parts, every part of our our life. These, uh, the Psalms are, are poems, you know that, really lyrics, if you will. They're the songs that Israel sang in their tabernacle worship. They're certainly, they're historically ancient, yes, but they are so practically relevant. They cover the entire gamut of life, life's highs, life's lows, and everything in between, our deepest longings, our pains, our losses, all the while, Reminding us of God's character in His actions on our behalf. Last week, Rob took us through Psalm 32, and uh, I, of course, like, you know, I, w- I have to w- I watch it. I get to watch it. I want to watch it because I'm going to be teaching out of that passage. You know, as we team teach, so I watched it this week, and I kid you not, I could not write down fast enough the things that he was unpacking from those texts. Uh, Perhaps the most important principle that I would take away from the message last week is never play a game that Rob Sweet invents (laughs) because it just leads to trouble. Yes, you have to go watch that. In all seriousness, uh, there were two things Rob said that I wanna grab, I wanna remind you of because it prepares us for our text this morning. He said this, and I quote, he said, "'Confession is the gateway to freedom." He reminded us how counterintuitive this is, because in our fallenness, you all, when we blow it, when we sin and no one knows, we wanna keep it that way. And so confession's counterintuitive because we go, no, as long as no one knows, whew, it's okay. But it's confession of our sin. God already knows, and it's our making known of our sin before God that we find freedom When we keep sin to ourselves, you all, that's not freedom. You're just putting a bar in your own prison cell. The second thing he said this was, biblical confession is one of the most misunderstood concepts of spiritual growth. One of the most misunderstood concepts of spiritual growth. Now, I want you to think about this. Spiritual growth, i.e., Christ-likeness growing to be more like Jesus, uh, there's nothing that matters more. And yet here's a, a tool God has given us, confession that is misunderstood. It's, it's, it's often neglected, quite frankly. So in a similar vein, I, I wanna bring those, two, those things forward to say, we're gonna cover this morning in Psalm 88, uh, a principle, a concept, a means of grace, if you will, that God has given us that is both counterintuitive, okay, and it too is misunderstood. Counterintuitive because it, 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 you'll see when we get into this, it's like, but if I do that, if I go there, if I practice that, that won't get me where I need to be, want to be, desire to be. It's counter to, so we, so we resist it. We stay away from that, what I'll talk about in a moment. It's misunderstood in that we, when, when we're not practicing this spiritual discipline, if you will, this practice that God has given us, uh, when the inevitable storms of life hit you all, uh, rather than, faith growing deep and finding an anchor for our souls in those storms, listen, we become unmoored. And quite frankly, our faith can suffer shipwreck. I'm speaking of the biblical practice of lament. Lament. Uh, From the dictionary, this is a good place to start as a verb. Lament means um, to express sorrow, at loss, to, to express disappointment around injustice, tragedy. As a noun, lament, it, it's a cry. It is a, it is a guttural cry of the soul. It, it, you know, you could use the word mourning, uh, wailing. From the Bible, we learn that biblical lament, it's the biblical response to loss. Uh, It's the outward expression, just as these baptisms were the outward expression of an inward reality. They had placed their faith in Christ. They're born again, regenerate by the spirit. Uh, Lament is is the outward expression of a broken heart, a broken soul, a crushed spirit. Here's a definition from a, a journal I go to often, a biblical journal. Lament in the Bible speaks of betrayal and abandonment, disappointment with God, Injustice, enemy attacks, illness and death. It is both personal and corporate. Understand, lament, yes, it's individual. It could be just you and God, certainly, but it's also corporate. we may not be familiar with lament, and, and quite frankly, I could spend a lot of time on this, I'll only say this, for, those, for us in the West maybe, but certainly with, with the, kind of the American bravado culture, uh, you know, lament's like, mm-mm, you know, don't go there, we, you know, fix the problem, don't complain about it, don't whine, it's kind of that thing, we stay away from lament, but lament, oh my. God's people have always held lament at the very center of their relationship In their worship, we only need to note this. There are 150 psalms in the Psalter. 65, if not a few more, are psalms of lament. Now think about that. Here's the Psalter. That's really the backbone from which all of their worship flows. It's the liturgical iron rod from which their doctrine flows of God. 65, almost half are lament psalms not psalms of praise or supplication, but lament. Now, having turned to Psalm 88, let me offer this warning. Scholar Derek Kidner writes of Psalm 88, there is no sadder prayer in the Bible. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman no psalm ends on a more dismal note than this one. Walter Brueggemann, who, who's probably one of the foremost psalm scholars in our day, says this of Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is an embarrassment to conventional faith, end quote. Now, what, what would he mean it's an embarrassment to conventional faith? Well, we've got to camp on that word conventional if, if, if your faith has no room for lament, if in other words, you know, y- your faith is uh, uh, no, no, we're not gonna complain to God. Uh, we're not gonna get angry with God. We don't have questions to God. Uh, if, if your faith is that, then, that then, then you'll wanna take Psalm 88 out of your Bible. That's the point that he's making. But it leaves us with this question, and you're going to feel this as we read through it. What in the world is this thing in here for? <laughs> um, h- how does this serve our spiritual formation and growth? We're going to answer that question as we walk through it. Um, it when we pick this Psalm up, you know, Psalms like I've mentioned before it can be difficult to teach and Brueggemann helps me here a ton as as I was reading some of his work on the psalm. And he notes this, and, and you can just look at it in your text for now, that there are three places in this psalm where the psalmist cries out to God, okay? There's verse one, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Then there's verse 9b, the second part of verse nine. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands, which is how they pray, hands to you. And then verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry out to you in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Brueggemann notes that this this is the Psalms structure. So so we're gonna take those three and go, okay, we're gonna gonna note and we're gonna work through the passage around these three cries. I cry out day and night, one through nine. I call upon you every day, nine through 12. And then the back end, 13 through 18. I cry to you in the morning. Now those are rather benign. I mean, I'm just taking the text of scripture. So as I walk through these sections, I'm gonna add a little phrase on the back end of that that describes what's happening in that particular part of our text. So look at your Bible. This is God's living word to you and I today. We'll go through verses one through nine, a little section at a time, first one through four. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. This is a typical Psalm of lament, begins with a cry, a plea. Okay, and then a complaint, uh, 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 what's going on in my world? We pick that up in verse three, because for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength." This word, the fullness is a fullness of, of eating when you have no more appetite because you're so stuffed. He is stuffed with affliction. I am filled up with affliction, with misery, misfortune. I draw near to Sheol. I go down to the pit, Sheol, the netherworld. It's the idea for the psalmist is I am standing. I have come to the verge of death, of the end. have no strength. It's a picture, if you will, of someone so over, over, overcome with affliction that there's a sliding, it's like they're sliding and I have no strength to hold on. I am just slipping down, down, down. And he goes deeper, verse five through seven. I'm like one set loose among the dead like those whom you remember no more for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Pause. Just let let those words land on us. Dead, slain, cut off, depths, pit, dark, deep, wrath, overwhelmed. He's no longer sliding toward death. He's in it. Let me say a word about death because he says death for him is when I'm dead, you remember me no more. I am no more. And I want to reconcile this, if I may, with his initial statement when he says he's crying. I mean, here's, he's crying to the God, the God you and I know. He's crying to God, the God of my salvation. But you gotta keep this in mind. And it's that principle we talk about often when we're studying our Bibles, the principle of progressive revelation. That this Bible and God's revelation of himself, it didn't all just plop down all 66 books. No, God progressively revealed Himself, His purposes, and His plans. And what we read in Genesis is not as clear as what we read in 1 Timothy. See, the clarity comes later, in particular, the clarity of the cross. And so for the Psalmists, understand, they are living in a day when, when their understanding of life after death, it's opaque. It's not as crispy, clear, you know, for you and I today, we stand on this side of the cross and we go, no, no, no. When a a Christian dies, they're in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't, that's not been revealed. Does this make sense? It's not clearly revealed yet. And so for him to think of death, it is to be no more. It's to be over. It gets worse, verses eight. And then the first part of verse nine, you've you've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. He is saturated with sorrow. And please note, God, you put me in the depths of the pit. It's your wrath that is upon me. You've caused my, we don't back away from this. In the same way we went back away from God's providence in Ruth, God has done this and is doing this. The progression, I'm full of troubles. I got no strength to hang on. I am sliding toward the pit. I'm in the pit. And so I want to put this on our heading, if we may. Verses one through nine is that first section. I cry day and night. Why? Because death is winning. This is where he is right now. Death is winning. For some of you hearing these words, it, 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 it's honestly, it's, it could be like balm to go, yes, death has hit my family, my world. I'll say another word about death in a moment, but let's continue to the passage. Verses nine through 12, I call upon you every day. Look at verse nine, I'm gonna pick it up in part B. Every day, I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands, is how I pray to you. And then notice where he goes. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon in destruction is a better way for us to understand. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Six questions may I say emphatically, they're rhetorical and the answer to every one of them is no, 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 no. God, if you put me in the grave, then, then, no one in the grave is going to praise you, speak of your wonders and your works. It's the normal pattern of a psalm, of, of a lament psalm, to begin with that cry, to go into that complaint, and even raise, you know, the, the rhetorical questions here of what's going on in his life. And then, what we expect is a turn. See, in, in, a, in, a, in a normal lament. There's a turn because after all of that, there comes this pivot that says, but you, God, yet God you are, and it turns up, not in Psalm 88. (laughs) We're going down and we're gonna keep going down. And quite frankly, you'll see as the Psalm ends, it doesn't end up. It ends down. Here's what I would put on this little section where he calls upon God every day, as he says. I call upon you every day because what you are doing makes no sense. Again, for some of you, you may hear this and go, oh, I'm not the only one that looks what God's doing and I go, this makes no sense. And then we end with this, I cry to you in the morning. This will be 13 to 18, let's get that. But, but I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you, it's, it's his first thing in the morning, he's praying. And he says, O Lord, why? Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth? In other words, this has been long-term. This man has been suffering since youth and is still suffering. I suffer your tears, I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Again, listen to the language of this. Destroy, swept over, dreadful. They surround me like a flood. All day long, they close in on me together. And do you know what most Psalms and many Psalms say right here? And the flood surrounded me and you lift me to a rock that's higher than the waters and you restore, see, none of that in Psalm 88, verse 18, it ends, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The last word in the you know, a lot of times the words are out of order in English, but in the Hebrew text, the last word is darkness. Darkness. Mm. He's experiencing nothing less than this. Okay, when you read this, he's experiencing life as an enemy of God, but he's not an enemy. What is going on? No wonder he's crying out. I'll put this on this heading just to define it a bit. I cry to you in the morning because my only friend, is darkness. That's literally what the last phrase says. My companions have become darkness. That's a bit of an awkward way to say it, but we could say it this way. My only friend is darkness. And may I say this, darkness is no friend. His point is, it's all he's got, okay? It's all he's got is darkness. And we're left with this massive question. And I asked it earlier, what in the world is Psalm 88 doing in here? What does it mean? And how does it form us and shape faith in Christ in us? We've got to answer that question. I, I came to faith when I was 18 years old I was telling some of the kids that were baptized in the first service that, you know, they were younger, they got baptized. said, y'all, I didn't, I was 18 when the lights went on and I believed that Christ died on the cross for my sin, was buried and rose again. I'm so grateful for you. You know, as young, you've grown up in homes where you know the gospel. And I, and I came to faith with a little tract called the Four Spiritual Laws. I've talked to you guys about this before. It's a little booklet that the founder of Campus Crusade, Bill Bright, wrote many, many years ago. How many of you have ever read the Four Spiritual Laws See, still many. I'm telling you, the little tract, it's four principles to come to faith. It's led thousands upon thousands to faith in Christ. Well, the first principle, okay, begins this way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Then it goes through and explains how you're separated from God and you have to put your faith in Christ. Uh, I will say this, and this is no critique of, 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 of the four spiritual laws. It's just, just to help you understand my own journey and perhaps yours. I've spent the last 40, 50 years, 40 something years from that point, coming to understand what that word wonderful really means because it doesn't mean what I thought it meant When I put my faith in Christ, and Psalm 88, perhaps more than any other psalm, helps us define "wonderful" in terms of what it means for the person following Jesus. I'm going to give you two lessons. Just there's so many in here, and I had to go. You know, we got to. I got to keep it time wise, and I've got two. A lesson about life and a lesson about lament. Here, here's the first one. And I think Psalm 88 is speaking to us, and it's saying this number one, no one lives happily ever after. That's a fairy tale. That's make believe. That's not reality. That's not life in a fallen body with fallen people in a fallen world. No one escapes this world unscathed by fallenness. Life at times will be dark. God at times will be silent, the silence of this. this, He's crying out, there's no answers. Bad things happen to people. I was gonna say good people, but just people. (laughs) Trusting God is difficult. Psalm eighty-eight does not have a happy ending because death is not a happy ending. Now, now let me qualify this because I'm, you know, I I, I do funerals with our family of faith, um, and we. So I'm putting myself in this. We can, tend, we can tend to, and we do, you know, I've done so many of these and, and, and we, we call them celebrations of life. We're gonna celebrate this person's life. And that's so appropriate, peace to hear me, when I say that. I'm not saying we don't need to do that, but, but I will just have us pause for a moment to say, we, we often can be quick to celebrate that they're with Jesus and we're gonna celebrate their life. But I don't know that we as Westerners stop long enough to go, death stinks. It's awful. It's not the way it's meant to be. And I grieve the loss that this death, you know what I'm saying? We don't do that well. And and, and I'm and I'm trying to say this in a way that, you know, if we've ever done a funeral together, I'm not going back, going, I wish I, I'm just saying, I don't know that we do that. We don't, we don't recognize the dastardliness, the damnableness of death. It's not the way it was meant to be. It's our enemy. Psalm 88 tells us this. No one lives happily ever after. You know understand what I'm saying that in terms of life on this planet. And then there's a lesson on lament. Lament is continuing to talk to God when he's not talking to you. I could substitute the word faith in there. Faith is not the elimination of doubt. Faith is, is not that, you know, I never complain to God. I never, I'm never angry at God. God never disappoints me, because I have faith. I mean, I don't think that's, I don't know if that's healthy faith, I don't think it's biblical faith, because I got biblical faith right here, and this guy's doing all of those things. Remember the Psalm is organized with these three I cry to you, I cry to you, I cry to you. That's so key to our understanding of this particular Psalm. God, I'm talking to you. See, a biblical lament includes complaint. There's a complaint within within the structure of a lament, but it's not whining. Why is it not whining? Because I'm talking to you, God, and I'm complaining to you, God, and I'm reminding you of what you have done and where my life is right now and what's going on inside of me. You see, he's talking to God about God and his world and his life. You can you can and you will be in lament, in grief, in loss. You can and will say things to God that are just way off the reservation that are simply not true. But hear me on this, okay? When you're saying that to God, you can be wrong about what you say and even what you say about Him, but you are never wrong if you just keep talking to Him. That's what the psalmist does. He, he, He just keeps coming to God. For some of us, the hurt can be so deep, you don't even have the words, that's okay. You can groan, and the Spirit's groaning on your behalf in great loss. Just keep talking to him which brings us to our morning, noon, and night. We're calling that in terms of our application. So I, you don't have to grab your book right now. I'm going I'm to quote from it. But um, what Rob has done on Psalm 88 is on page 114, he's given us a six-part step for really lament. And, and I encourage you, you know, it's the whole reason we've put these books in your hand is, is not that, you know, per se, you'd do all of them, but you would do some and, and, and you would learn, you would be equipped how to how to read a Psalm and, 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 and bring God into the pain of your life, the joy of your life, to relate intimately with God through a devotional reading and, and, and study of the Psalm. So he's got that for you, I encourage you to do that. But I wanna read something that Rob wrote to, to, to think about our own application today. As he was pondering this Psalm, Rob said this, why does God choose to hide himself? When I get to that place, I have to remind myself who God is and what God is about. He's, he is perfect, good, and full of love. And he is all about growing me in an ever deepening relationship with him. God is all about growing me in an ever deepening relationship with himself. That is the context that we hold Psalm 88. That, that it is in this Psalm that, that God uses this in a mysterious way to, to grow me in an ever deepening relationship with himself. And it raises a question as we think about what this Psalm is saying, what the Psalmist says. I want you to answer this question, not out loud, but I really want you to ponder this in your heart. Uh, you're answering not to me, but I, how, what would your answer be to God um, in, in this? I phrase it a couple different ways. Will you trust a God who makes your life miserable at times? Will you? Will you trust a God who puts you in the deep, dark pit? Will you trust a God who hides his face from you? This, it ha- this all happened to him. You know, oftentimes I might hear, you might hear someone saying, I just can't believe, I can't believe in a God who would do. Can you trust a God who would do this? Now I want you to, I'm gonna take that question and I'm gonna put it in a context. And so I really gonna have, come back to the question in a con, in other words, I want you to think about something bigger that that question fits in. And to do that, we're gonna to go to the table. So let me invite you to take the table elements. If you're new to fellowship or you walked in and you missed getting these table elements, we go to the table each week that this ordinance is one that Christ gave us, that we celebrate on a regular basis. It is for those who've placed their faith in Christ. I mean, the symbols are meaningless if you've not put your trust in Christ and we hope you will and do. And, but if you've placed your faith in Christ, we welcome any and all to the table with us to remember what Christ has done. So take the bread and then take the top off the cup and we are gonna prepare to receive this table and we'll do so with a few reminders. You know, when we take the table, it is a remembrance. It is a remembrance that is looking back on what Christ has done, and it is a remembrance that's looking forward to say he's coming again. And so we have a bread, a wafer, uh, symbolic of his body broken for us, the cup symbolic of his blood shed. Now, here's what I want you to remember today at this table, in light, of Psalm 88. Jesus was made miserable beyond comprehension by the Father. We we can't even grasp the misery he bore. He was put in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the deep dark. God's wrath, was poured on him and God didn't take him and set him outside the floodwaters of wrath. He flooded him. In death on the cross, darkness was his only friend. No, Lord, he he still had the father. No, he was separated from the father. See, Psalm 88, yes, it's a psalm of lament, but it's a messianic psalm. What does that mean? It means that psalmists would write and and unbeknownst to themselves, they were prophetically speaking of the savior that would be coming hundreds of years later. So even here as the psalmist says, my companions shun me. You've caused my beloved, my friend to shun me. Is this not what happened to Christ on the cross? His friends looked at him as now, I don't wanna be near him. I say this at the table because Jesus took the deep darkness of Psalm 88, not so that we would never have to experience it, but so that we would know in the midst of it, it's not permanent. It's not the end. There is light beyond this. Sometimes in this life, we, we experience some of that light, but let's, let's not shy away from this. Sometimes that light doesn't come in this world in, 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 the, in the sense I'm saying the pain never resolves. It's only after death and in, in the presence of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes for many, it doesn't ever go away. Jesus took the separation from the Father so that when you and I are crying out, God, where are you? We can know while he's silent, he's not absent. How can we know that? Because Christ paid the penalty and absorbed the separation from the Father. So if you're in Christ, you can never be separated from the Father, even if it feels like you're all alone. And even when he's silent, Lord Jesus, for your body broken on our behalf, we remember it. We thank you for your obedience on our behalf. Receive the bread. And for your life poured out, we hold this cup We recognize that you gave your life freely. You endured separation from the Father, so we never would have to, even though in this life there will be times when that distance seems more real. But your promises tell us otherwise, for your body and your blood poured out. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We remember backwards at the moment it happened in history and we proclaim forward you're coming again to set all things right, receive the cup. In the context of the table, all that Christ has done and given, I'm gonna ask you this question again. Will you trust a God who makes your life miserable at times? Will you trust a God who puts you in the deep, dark pit? Will you trust a God who hides his face from you? Would you think about that for just a moment? Hey, the answer to, for me is only by the power of the spirit and only resting in the gospel. This is the only way I can answer yes. I want us to stand together. We respond with a song, a song of response to God's great truths to us. A week or so, I was talking to Rob Howard, who, who, who wrote Morning, Noon and Night, and we were talking about, us talking about this passage and grief and lament. And he, he said he had, was listening to something, but had heard someone quote uh, a man named Gerald Sitzer. Gerald Sitzer lost a mother, a wife, and a child in an auto accident in the blink of an eye. A few years after that, he had wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. and Rob mentioned this this quote from A Grace Disguise. It was so good, and I go, it sounds so familiar, and I said, I've got that book somewhere, and I grabbed it, and so, you know, I grabbed it, and I'm perusing through it, and sure enough, I i found this quote, and I wanna share this with you, because I think it—I think it's so apropos for Psalm 88, and even the application of Psalm 88, and what it means to lament. So I grabbed my book, and sure enough, I had it, and, and I had already underlined, it's, I'd already underlined the quote Rob said, and I underlined that, y'all, 18 years ago, but he he was, Sister's talking about someone who mentioned him as far as east is from west and what that means, but listen to what he quotes his sister. He says, later my sister Diane told me that the quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west chasing after the setting sun, but to head east plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunshine. Now Now, think about that metaphor. I think it's a beautiful metaphor that we, you know, the sun is is setting over in your west. The sun is setting in the west and, and the darkness comes and we want the light. And so we can find ourselves chasing the sun when in reality, lament tells us, you don't chase, you can't chase that light But you can step into that darkness, can't you? You can step into the darkness. And oh, you go, well, I don't want any darkness. There's no escape. But when we step into that darkness, we don't step into it alone. So you can move into the darkness. This is post-cross in Christ. We move into the darkness with our hands full of the promises of god oh it's dark but we hold those promises don't we even as we move in to the darkness that keeps getting darker and do you know when it's darkest you know this just before the sun peeks out let's sing of this reality and this truth secured all these promises secured how by the blood of Christ.